Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Mildred, and she will tell us what we're gonna, what she does at her job, and hopefully explain everything to our best of her ability, so we can learn from what she does. Okay, Mildred, can you please tell us what you do at your job, and how does that help out the population of homeless people? Sure. Um, I'm Mildred Flores. I'm the Director of Marketing and Compliance at Settlement Housing Fund, and I handle the lotteries for for-profit developers and some of our own internal projects where we do, you know, all the advertising, um, mailing out applications, screening applicants and getting them approved um, and moved into um, all the affordable housing opportunities that are available um, in the city. So developers come to us when they are building affordable housing, um, when they need a marketing agent to handle the affordable leasing process. Um, and that's what we do uh, on behalf of the developers um, we are their compliance agent and we make sure to screen the applicants you know within the criteria HPD and making sure that the applicants have a good experience and that we explain to them you know how everything works and what they can expect from the project and then hopefully get them moved in that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell. So you did say an acronym, people might not know what it is, um, HPD, can you explain what that is exactly? Yes, um, HPD is the New York City Department of Housing Preservation and Development. Um, they are the um, housing agency for New York City. So um, any housing that is built in New York City typically is under the jurisdiction of HPD. Thank you. So you said you handled the lotteries and things like that. How first, how do people can how can people apply for the lotteries and how does that whole process work? Because lotteries like you pick out almost like you put everybody's name in a hat and you pick it out. But um where do they have to apply for these lotteries? Sure. So the new process is there's a new website called New York City Housing Connect. 2.0 and oh, wow. typically apply online um, but can, they can still also apply via paper so on the New York City Housing Connect website um, there is a list of every lottery that's open for the next 60 to 90 days. Um, it doesn't typically do um, stay on for that long. So you can go in at any time and see what's available in the next 60 to 90 days. If you see anything that you might be interested in, then you would create an account and fill out the application. Um, the application process is really uh, is much more intuitive now than it used to be in the past, where they help guide the applicant to provide the correct information so that their app their income is um, calculated correctly. And then once your application is completed, then you would apply to anything that you're interested in in your area, um, outside of your area, within your income limits, and then the system would let you know, yes, you, you know, you appear to qualify 
um, you should definitely apply or it can even give you a warning you don't appear to qualify um, so please check your application or if you do submit your application you may not be eligible so it gives you that um, but you can also see it in the newspapers um, all the projects are required to um, put ads in the newspapers whenever they are um, whenever there is a lottery so if you see the ads in the newspapers it would give you an address where you can request a paper application you mail your um, self-addressed um, envelope and then they would send you back an application and you can apply that way oh wow i didn't know that i didn't know about the um the newspaper thing so that's good information to know so if guys if you don't have the internet you could definitely still be able to apply and not be left out of any of the you know information on housing that they have in new york city yeah, the um, AM New York Metro, the free newspaper that they give, you know, on at the subways and stuff. And any, if you see any free newspapers in um, in those containers, like you know, it's typically near transit stations. You should always pick one up, and you will probably always see, you know, some um, some new opportunity in there. So it's definitely um, in the newspapers, um, the ones that are easily accessible. Um, and then you can also call three one one, I believe, and they give you a list of um, what's available as well. But I'm not 100% sure about that. I think that's true, but um, you'd have to double check. <laughs> no problem. That's a lot of good information. Some things I didn't even know about and some things I did. So for income, what kind of income do you, they normally look for? You have to be working only or do like disability counts? Does um, public assistance counts? What does even... Um, What's the child support count? What kind of income does count for this? Um, so typically all income counts as long as it's consistent and verifiable. Um, so HPD has a really good income guide online and it like explains, you know, what's considered income, um, how you how it's counted, um, how you can provide proof of it. But in a nutshell, um, for eligibility purposes, it needs to be consistent and it needs to be um, you know, easily documented. So if you're getting like um, public assistance, then you would provide your budget letter. If you're getting social security, disability, you would provide your award letter. If you're getting gifts from you know, your family, as long as it's you know, going into your bank account um, or you can share it, um, show it through Cash App, Venmo, um, PayPal, then that all will count as income. Um, and then of course, you know, if you're employed, you would um, provide your pay stubs. If you own a business, we would wanna see you know, your business records. We would wanna see your taxes. Um, child support um yeah we would want to see it in the cash apps and the venmos if you do it that way if you have a formal child support agreement we would want to see the printout from the child support department um but the city does have like an extensive resource on what we consider income and and how to calculate it as well for applicants to look at and get familiar with it and when you're going through the um the housing connect um, application process, it explains that to you as well. Um, and then once your income has kind of been determined, um, the big thing to know is that it's gross income. We are not looking at income after taxes, um, except for in cases of self-employment. Um, 
So everything is before taxes. How much do you make before taxes? What's your gross income? That's the income that we're going to use. And then, you know, once you know what your income is, then you want to apply for opportunities that fall within that income range. Um, so if you know you're going to be $100 over, then you're, you're not going to be considered eligible. Um, the income limits are very strict um, because that is, um, that's the point of the program is for people to be within the income limits. I understand. I didn't know they would take all those different ways. I just never thought about that. Even Venmo, you said Venmo. I think a lot of people now just including those things, which is very good for a lot of people, you know, because it helps them out to be able to, get more resources for themselves. So that's pretty cool. So I have another question. So you said there's a new website. So what happens to the old website? And if people, can people even apply to this still? Or what happens to people's records if they apply for certain stuff they don't, they keep on going back to the old website over and over trying to apply for stuff, but they're not getting through because of the new website now. How did the word get out about that? So the old website is still operational. Um, they don't post new opportunities on there. So once you've already applied to projects on that old website, which you know stopped being operational in 2020, um, it was like the summer of 2020. Um, the last projects that closed out on there, those were the, um, once you applied to those, then that was it. You still have access to it. And those projects are probably still in process. So, um, all your contact information, you know, the um, the marketing agent will get from there and they would still process you. And then um, I think it was as of, it might've been August, 2020, when they started posting new projects, excuse me, on the new Housing Connect. So um, if anything new came out, it was on the new Housing Connect. There was like a big um, media push of that the new Housing Connect was coming on the old site. It tells you that there's a new website. Um, it was in the news. Uh, it was on social media. Um, so there was like a big um, like marketing push to show that this um, new website was coming. And for people that um, were probably um, applying for opportunities, they were probably being told by new agents as well, like, okay, you know, this new website is coming. So, you know, when you apply for new projects, this is where you're going to have to go. Um, for, the, for the projects that they've applied to in the past, um, as long as that they haven't been, you know, rejected, their application is still active. Um, if they get reached and be placed on a waiting list, that if information is still available. So those opportunities are still available. That sounds great. That sounds great. Um, so with these housing, like you said, they go through hood to say this and that. Is there a certain amount of, after they make a building, is it that the whole building can be, is it basically low income or is only a certain amount of apartments in the building considered to be part of this program? So it depends on the financing of the building and you know the deal that the developer chose for but for the most part um a lot of buildings are partially affordable um it used to um like 20 to 30 percent um and then there are some buildings that are 100 percent affordable you'll probably see more 100 percent affordable um in like low-income areas um like in the bronx or brooklyn those are um 
the biggest areas where they have 100% affordable housing. Um, so those are available, uh, but for the most part, um, it's partially affordable and then partially market rate. Is it like how NYCHA and Section 8 is? Like, how do they know how much you're going to pay for rent? How is it good? You said low income, but how does that work particularly? How do they know how much you're going to pay for rent and be able to afford it all the time? I know you say you, they look through your income and things like that, but is it like 30% like NYCHA or they make you pay like half or how does that work? So NYCHA, so NYCHA and Section 8 and like all those subsidy voucher programs, they do 30% of your income. So they have a maximum rent that they're going to pay for any given apartment. And then, you know, and you're going to pay 30% of that. So for typically for affordable housing, if they don't have like a Section 8 or subsidy component, then they're going to set the rents as they are. So depending on what Hello? Hello? I can't hear you. Maybe Asher, I'm mute. Whatever the maximum for your studio, we will call. Hello? Yes. I, yes. I, I couldn't hear you for a while. Oh. It says my internet connection is unstable. <laughs> oh. I can hear you better now. I can hear you clearly. Okay. Yes. Um, so where should I pick up from? Um, you could pick up from, I don't even know what the question was. Right? Um, what were you, you say you talking about the, how much cash people were? Um, I believe the question was about NYCHA. Um, yeah, like I was, the, if the rent, if the, sorry, if it's like 30% like NYCHA, that's what I was asking. Yes. Okay. So no, it's not 30% like NYCHA because NYCHA is looking at each individual applicant versus in affordable housing. We are just looking to capture the rent that we want to capture based on the program. And then we're going to calculate what the 30% of what the minimum income is. And then those are the applicants that are um, that will be found eligible. So we set the minimum income around 30% of the income. Um, and then the applicants need to fit within, you know, within that income limit. If they don't, then they would need a subsidy, but that's a subsidy that they would have to get on their own. Um, the project wouldn't provide subsidies if that's not part of their financing. Okay. So they can use like vouchers like city FEPs, I would assume, or no? Yes. And if they make more money, say in the future they don't have city FEPs anymore or something like that, would you guys recalculate it like how other programs do? Or it doesn't matter if they make money, less money or more money, that rent stays the same amount no matter what? Correct. The rent will not change um, if you make more or less money. Um, the rent is the rent as it was advertised, and then um, the rent only increases based on rent stabilization. Can you explain that? So rent stabilization um, is the monitoring board um, in New York City that for rent stabilized apartments, um, your, your rent can only go up a certain percentage and it's the percentage that they decide to 
um, decide every year. So for the last few years, it was that they calculated that there should be no rent increases um, in New York City. So if you were a rent stabilized tenant, you didn't get any rent increases because the that monitoring board said, no, there shouldn't be any rent increases. Oh, wow. I didn't know that's how they did it. I just, I, I always knew about rent stabilized apartments. In my mind, when I hear rent stabilizing, is that it never changes. I thought it just stays the same for like why you stay there for the rest of your life. If you move, they get kind of screwed. But if you stay in an apartment, I thought the rent just never changed at all. So that's interesting to know that there's a person who has a job was saying, oh, rent stays at a certain um, certain way. And if it, at one year they could say, oh, raise it up $2, that's how it works. I didn't realize that. So that's good information to know. Um, what else would you like to tell people about settlement housing and what do they, the stuff that they do and things like that? Well, settlement housing is a big organization. What I do is only a small part um, of what we do for, you know, for the public and the homeless population. Um, we are a social service agency with um, programs with, that help with um you know, we provide transitional housing. We're an affordable housing developer. We do 100% affordable housing um, throughout, um, you know, parts of the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Manhattan. Um, and we also provide resident services so that, you know, residents um, have some place to go for help with, um, you know, staying in their apartment, those kinds of resources. If they are coming up with like arrears and need help with, you know, getting information about programs, um, that's you know a lot of the work that we do as well oh that's pretty cool so when you say that you give them you help them with certain things is it like in their building or you just give them a place they can go like to get help does that make sense yes that doesn't make sense um this is not my area but i believe it is you know in your building you have a coordinator that you can go to for um you know in to seek assistance with resources that's pretty cool. So you said you do marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think of marketing, I think of like sales and mm -hmm. selling a product to a person. Is it like that exactly? Or is it, can you explain a little bit more in depth? Yes. Um. So no, it's, it's not like the traditional marketing where we're advertising and selling a certain product. Um, the marketing and leasing um, component, that's the name that was given um, by HPD. Um, that's, the, that's the services that um, they provide and that's how what they call it for the for the affordable housing so we do some marketing because we do uh, you know make sure it gets posted on the housing connect site we make sure it gets posted in the newspapers but that's kind of like the extent of the marketing that we do it's not really you know that traditional selling um, and you know a specific product um, product type um, but the name really came from like the way the agencies wanted to name it. So it was called, you know, it's called marketing. So you said leasing. What is that about per se? So you guys like so, you make up the lease or you get the leases from the, like how does that work? So leasing just refers to when you're dealing with um, moving people into um, an apartment building, um, when you're dealing with rentals. Um, so leasing just means, you know, you're going to get people to sign leases. So the process is called leasing. 
okay. Oh, you actually do the leasing with you guys. I didn't understand that part. I didn't realize that they did that also. So when people get go through the lottery and they apply and they you say a yes, they have to bring the paperwork and stuff to you to claim that they are like, you know, the, the information they put in is correct. And then you sign the lease with you guys. That's how it works? Um, essentially, yes. Okay. So for all the buildings that people, you, you got a yes to, to say, oh, build this or have this or whatever, those are all the buildings that you'll be doing the lease for. That we doing leases for, yes. Okay, all right. I didn't realize that Settlement Housing actually did that. I did yeah. not know that. So I learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, are these leases, you know, like, what ages do usually people get these, like, you see come in? And do, when people sign these leases, do they understand what they're actually signing? I feel like, especially with younger people, if it's their first time, because it'll be, if you're 18 year old, most times probably won't come in because, you know, they probably can't afford it, but if they can, do they understand what they're reading or they're just signing paperwork? You know, like sometimes you sign like a, you do a credit card application, you're just signing without actually reading the full information to make sure you don't have like a high interest rate and stuff like that. Do people actually read the leases or they just kind of sign it when they get there? Um, most people don't read, um, what we provide to them, but we do, you know, do our best to explain it. You know, we explain it thoroughly. So they, um, so we at least make, um, make sure that we've provided them with the information so that they don't, so they, they understand the process. They don't feel misled. Of course, there's always times that, you know, um, they don't, they don't fully absorb everything because it's a really high, like intense um, time, like, okay, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting to an advanced stage of this process. I'm desperate for housing. So I'm really going to do everything that I can to just move forward. So I'm not really absorbing the information that's being provided to me. Um, so uh, I would say a lot of people probably don't read. Um, they'll probably be read later and then they'll come back to us if they have any questions. Um, but everything is pretty straightforward. Um, we, there's really nothing to be concerned about. Um, leases are standard, you know, in New York City. Um, and then the affordable housing process is standard in New York City. Um, and then there's always places that you can go to to make sure that, you know, what you experience is what you were supposed to experience. Okay. How much, like, how long are your leases for? Like a six months, a year, a couple of years? How does that usually go for your company? Um, so I can only, uh, so for leases in general, it's one or two years for rent stabilized leases. Okay. That's cool. And then they come back and they resign a new one, I would assume. That's how it's yes. okay. So for rent stabilization, um lease renewals are automatic. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. So they have to do that much work, you know. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So what if a person is an immigrant and they don't have mm -hmm. paper papers, right? Mm -hmm. and they want to apply and they have like a job off the books would they be able to apply and because this is, is a state that is a sanctuary state do you take that or don't you take that because of their status so yes the um the mayor put out guidance i think it might have been last year it's very clear we don't ask um any applicant about their residency status um the most important parts of uh, affordable housing is that um, you at least pay your taxes. So if you are working a job, 
and you you pay your taxes, then you are eligible for affordable housing. So depending on the status of um, of the immigrant, you know, if they are working an off the books job and they're not paying taxes, then you know they wouldn't be found eligible. But they, if they're working off the books and they, you know, claim their employment as self employment, you know, and they're paying taxes on it, then they would be eligible. Okay, so people still have opportunity, guys. Don't feel like because you don't have anything going. As the lady said, as long as you claim taxes which I would hope that you are to kind of help yourself out in the future, you'll be able to apply for this job. So um, this job, sorry, this, <laughs> this apartment. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool that now a lot of things are getting more inclusive. People who don't have paper, that people are realizing that they're still, even though they don't have this documentation, they're still a part of our community, our society, and that they're helping out a lot. Because most times they get the jobs that a lot of people don't want, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and they, most of the time they work very hard. So yeah, they were very I think it's pretty cool that they put them in their last. I don't know, probably because of the pandemic, they put them in. It seems like a lot of rules change because of the pandemic. So I'm happy about that. I'm really, really happy about that. So do you have any last words to tell the people about settlement housing? Um yes, so I have just a few last words. And then so for immigrant applicants, they should also it, um, I would really recommend applying for the New York City ID because in most cases, that's the only form of ID you need to provide um, in affordable housing applications. So definitely they should get that. Um, and then for last words of settlement housing, yeah, we are a affordable housing provider. We work very hard to make sure that we are building communities where people feel safe um, and feel that we are improving their lives. Um, and I'm really proud to work for an organization um, whose mission is to make sure that we are providing for like the most underserved um, communities. Um, and I really appreciate being here. Oh, that's nice. So with for the idea she was talking about, if you don't know, probably just Google which places near you get the IDs. I know some libraries do it. I got mine at my, at my local library, but probably go through and one day will know where these IDs are so you can get like get one for yourself. And also, I was going to say IDs and I forgot the other one, but it's fine. If any that come in the next episode <laughs> and I'll tell you about it immigrants and i think that's it but yes so this is going to be us signing off to hear our voices and if you have any more questions about settlement housing fund do you have a link that they can go to um sure yeah our website is settlementhousingfund.org excellent so guys thank you for coming to hear our voices we'll also i'll try to get a link down in the description box you don't have to if you don't feel like googling you know i get lazy too i, I copy and paste everything so i definitely <laughs> understand <laughs> i definitely understand um and so i'll talk to you guys later i hope you learned something that can help yourself to do this whole process and i hope that everything that we're doing and the stories that you hear can change how your mindset is are about homeless people and homeless organizations or just organizations in general I hope these podcasts can really just open your eyes to a lot of different things and they'll get a lot of resources where it can help you and your family make yourself just better and make your life in New York City better and things like that. One more question. Do you have any more like around 
America or this is the only one in New York City? Um, our company? Yes, the company. Yes, it's only it's only in New York City. We have only one organization. Okay, so for right now they have a New York, probably with doing such a great job, they might expand. You never know, they've been around for a while and they have it, but you just <laughs> never know because a lot of states need help. And if this is a way of like a resource of helping people, it should definitely expand to go to other places to help other people. So you never know guys, you might hear this sound, this sound, this, this company in your city, in your state, and they're a wonderful company that is doing great things as you heard, and they're helping out everybody. So don't feel like you're getting left out. They're helping out if you have paperwork, if you don't have paperwork, as long as you're a person and you work and want to do better for your family, you'll be able to do this, this program. So guys, I hope it helped you out. I hope you got a lot of information that you can use and give to other people or use for yourself. Thank you so much. And see you in the next one. Bye.